Welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, where I interview the absolute best health and wellness practitioners from across the globe to show you what they do so that you can do it too. This is because, like you, I did not always feel that health was easy. I had tried different diets, countless exercise plans, but often felt misled by an industry that thrives on you not really getting healthy and always spending money on the next new thing. Because of this, I'm getting bare naked on health and pulling back the curtain to show you that being truly healthy is simple. Wherever you are in your health journey, I want to show you that with minimal effort, you can get maximum results and do what you love, play with your kids, go for a hike, and crush it in your business all while feeling great. To give you a kickstart, I encourage you to go over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to get the top 10 world-class nutrition tips from the experts that have been on the show, and you will see what simple health can be. Hey guys, I'm your host, Nick Horowski, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, episode number 56. In today's episode, I interview the naughty nutritionist, Dr. Kayla Daniel. Be sure to stick around for the end of the episode to learn more about fermenting cod liver oil, playing the organ, and keeping variety in your life. All right, guys, on the show today, Bare Naked Health Podcast, I have Dr. Kayla T. Daniel. Now, Kayla, first question that I ask everybody who comes on the show is, tell us about your health journey in 10 sentences or less. Oh, boy. (laughs) Well, I'm blessed I never had a major, major crisis. I never had a cancer diagnosis, an autoimmune disorder, or anything terribly serious. Now, I know the people who've survived those things say in a lot of ways it was the greatest blessing of their lives because they learned to, well, they grew from it. They became all they could be. But nonetheless, I'm very glad I didn't have that experience. Uh, That said, many years ago, I was not healthy. I was skinny, and uh, this was long before the era of the skinny bitches, but I was both skinny and bitchy, and I don't think either is desirable. (laughs) I didn't have very good muscle tone, I had very poor energy, and I had major skin problems. And somehow I knew I did not want to go the medical doctor route. I did not want prescriptions for tetracycline and antidepressants and all those things. I just knew that somehow there was a natural way. And finding a natural way that worked was the big challenge. And some of the first things I did was look at diet. So I explored Ayurvedic diets and macrobiotic and and live food and food combining. You, You name it, I tried it. And with the vegan diets, I was very seduced by all the promise, all the mythology behind it, but I got sicker and sicker and finally found my way back with a real food diet and omnivorous diet that includes um, healthy animal products. And I'm a big believer in organic, grass-fed, pastured, etc., because I do care about animals. I care about planetary health as well as personal health. So finding my way there was a real breakthrough for me. Put on a little good weight, healthy weight and muscle, got more energy, skin cleared right up, uh, an amazing transformation. Not overnight, but bit by bit, slowly and steadily started to get healthy. And then I became committed to becoming a nutritionist, got a PhD in nutrition so I can help other people too. 
Okay. And, and where did where did the naughty nutritionist come in with that then? Because I know that's where uh, you may be known as that uh, in some spheres, I guess, right? Yes, Nick, I'm too hot to handle. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? Okay, good to know. Good to know. <laughs> so I outrageously and humorously debunk nutritional myths. Um, there's a lot of humor in the way I present things. And I think laughter is good medicine. And I think a whole lot of people are sick and tired of everybody preaching at them. And I do it with a kind of a lightness that I think is more fun. It certainly does make it more fun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so speaking of even debunking myths, then, I, I'd like to even ask you, uh, or if you would want to talk on anything specific, because the whole soy story, I mean, this is something that came out a few years back, but I don't think uh, is overlooked. That the, like, I think soy is coming out as still this health food, like it still is really being called as such. But I think you have a different take if you want to share a little bit about it without maybe going over the entire book, I guess. Yes, well, the book is The Whole Soy Story, and the subtitle kind of sums it up, The Dark Side of America's Favorite Health Food. And uh, it's about 400 pages, so it is a long read. There's some fun sidebars, and, you know, people are reading it, and I'm very blessed that, that the word has been getting out because of this book. Um, a lot of people have not realized that, that much of the health food industry is all about promoting products and about pro uh, profits. And no better example than that, of that than, than soy products. So soybeans are a huge profitable crop, but uh, it first came about they were growing them for vegetable oil, things like western oil. Most vegetable oils in the marketplace, in the supermarkets, they're all from the soybean. So they took the soy oil out of the soybean, but there's a lot of soy protein left over. So if you're a good business person, are you going to pay to have it dumped in the landfill? Or are you going to find a way to make people actually pay you to take it away? <laughs> and they came up with the idea of turning soy into a health food. Because think about it, people weren't ready to just eat it. It had a terrible image problem. It was the kind of thing you'd eat if you were starving in Russia or in Cuba or, or if, you, you know, <laughs> if you had no money or it had a reputation as being something hippies would, would eat. So they had to give it a better image. And they were brilliant with this, actually, the idea that it's a health food because that's a way to make it profitable and upscale. So if rich people, healthy people, people who aspire to live forever are wanting to pay for it, so will the middle class and the lower class because, see, the image has changed. And at that point, you can even put it into things like canned tuna and people aren't thinking of it as a cheap adulterant. They're thinking of it as, oh, we've made our tuna healthier. So this really, it, it truly was brilliant. Yeah, so I had spent some years researching that. Uh, at the point, all the headlines were the soy of cooking, the joy of cooking, um, um, soy is a miracle bean to promote health, prevent cancer, heart disease, menopausal symptoms, etc. And I was shocked to discover there was actually very little support for all those health claims. The soy industry had gotten really busy to establish them, but there's a lot of badly designed studies and uh, sponsored studies that are designed to get the kind of results you want. I mean, a real good example of that would be if you compare a product to, say, um, well, let's say uh, you want to promote Snickers bars as healthy. So you do a study where um, 
they're eating Snicker bars and the control group's eating Twinkies. So, you know, it's reasonable to assume that the, the crowd eating the Twinkies are not going to do so well. <laughs> and, and so that's... It's all in the, the perceived value of it. Yeah, the eye of the beholder on some of these studies, then uh, they're, they're not always the most high quality. I think one of the things that, that scares me, and as, as I was reading the book, as I'm looking into this stuff, just in general, it's touted as like even the better than breast milk. And that's one that really scares me. Uh, do you want to expand upon why that happened and why that's clearly not the case? Well, the whole breastfeeding and bottle formula debate has been going on for a long time. And when I was growing up in the 50s, a whole lot of moms were being convinced that father technology was producing wonderful things, that it was better than what Mother Nature was offering us. And a whole lot of moms wanted to appear very modern, and breastfeeding was considered old-fashioned, and, and bottle feeding was considered the latest thing, and the advertising promoted it as actually healthier for your baby. Now, of course, it's not, and we've had some turnaround with that. But nonetheless, many, many mo new moms are still doing bottle feeding or they're only breastfeeding short term because they either have to go back to work or they want to go back to work. So, so there still is plenty of bottle feeding. Now, there's plenty of babies that do not thrive on commercial dairy formulas. And for those babies that are considered allergic to dairy, soy protein uh, formulas are promoted as the answer. And sadly, uh, babies that are fed soy formula are highly estrogenized babies, and it risks uh, their hormonal development, their brain and body development, at a point when these babies are at a very young, small, and very vulnerable stage. So the Israeli health ministry has warned against soy formula, said never, ever use it unless there's no alternative. And likewise, many other foreign governments have also issued warnings, but in the United States, soy formula is still promoted as healthy. And that's one of those that it just blows my mind because my son's a few months old at this point, and it was that's all the alternatives. I mean, even the, the milk based ones, there's you cannot find in the United States, I don't believe, uh, a commercially available one without soy. And it's, it's just amazing how it can find itself into absolutely everything that seems to get onto the shelves. Well, you're absolutely right. Uh, soy, either small quantities or in some cases large quantities, it's in more than 60% of processed and packaged foods, about 100% of fast foods. And you know what? It's one of the top allergies now. It used to be, you know, you know, number 11, and it will soon be down to number four in terms of, of substances people are reacting to. And the fact that it's in so many food products is, is very disconcerting. But those people are going to get off processed foods, so maybe that's the light at the end of the tunnel there. And I tell those people, quit reading the labels, just buy food that doesn't have labels. So, you know, spend the time buying real food from farmers, preparing it yourself, and you're going to have a much healthier diet, and you're not going to have all the grief and frustration of trying to read labels and find something without soy. So we're talking about how to go find like the real foods and stuff. What are, what are some of your favorite foods? What are things that you love to just, hey, really go out, enjoy, make, uh, or just go out and find? What, what are some of those things that you really love? 
Uh, I really love eggs and meat and and uh, raw cream, raw milk, uh, fruit, uh, vegetables. You you name it. If it's if it's real food, I I like a rich variety of food. Okay. Okay. And I think it's fun to cook. And I would not say I'm a gourmet cook. It's very simple. But if you're using butter and salt, you can't go wrong. <laughs> uh, I I would certainly agree with that. That that makes uh, just about everything better. <laughs> yeah, another another one of the things that when I was when I was on your website, I found uh, hook, line, and stinker. This I, I downloaded it. I just absolutely ate this up, uh, for lack of a better term. I mean, it was just something that I was really going through. But it, it talks about fermented cod liver oil, and if if you want to even again, same thing like debunking some of these myths where we talk about soy fermented cod liver oil has been for probably several years now. I mean, really growing in its popularity. But what are some of the problems with it? What has been really discovered uh, more recently about it that may not be all it's cracked up to be? Yes, there's been a product, a green pasture brand, uh, supposed fermented cod liver oil. And for a few years, I had begun to be suspicious about the product. Uh, You can't ferment oil, for example. For that matter, you can't ferment the livers. You can't ferment protein. Fermentation demands a high percentage of carbohydrates. That's the bottom line. So there's this alleged fermented cod liver oil. And the research indicated it was rancid. And I talked to some of the world's leading fats and oils experts, fish oil experts, cod liver oil experts in Norway, the UK, and all over the US. And they all said, oh, this product is rancid. And the Weston A. Price Foundation was very involved in promoting this product, and it was being widely used in the paleo, primal, and real food communities. It was considered a superfood, a health food, the very best cod liver oil available, and it had a reputation as being traditional. Well, the way it's actually made is traditional. It's the way you make paint if you're going to paint your house in Norway. It's been basically rotting in vats for months and months. So as I researched it, I learned that that many people have have had their health compromised by this product. Uh, Many people have been hospitalized. There's a possibility that a few people have died as a result of the product. Very hard to prove that, of course, with human subjects because, you know, we are eating many things. We're exposed to many things. So very hard to get a, a very clear cause and effect. But enough evidence to indicate we should be very, very cautious. So I tried to bring this, uh, these concerns to the attention of the Weston A. Price Foundation. I was the vice president at the time. Uh, I was not heard. Um, I was told my concerns were unfounded, that I was stupid, that it was a special product, that science did not apply to this unique and wonderful product, that the scientists were not bright enough to understand the unique properties and uh, I could go on that laboratory tests um, were not appropriate for this unique product, that they suited other products, but not this one. And then a lot of things about pendulum testing and energetic testing saying it was the best, best product out there. So I went undercover. I did an investigation. I worked with some of the top laboratories in the world and established proof that it was rancid, putrid, very low in the fat-soluble vitamins A, D, and K. And, of course, um, 
the the real kicker was that it's not from cod at all. DNA testing showed it was from pollock. So some deceptiveness there as well as all the health risks. So I put all that together in my, my little ebook, uh, Hook, Line, and Stinker, The Truth About Fermented Cod Liver Oil. And I've now moved on to other projects and, you know, want to leave that behind. But my uh, advice to people is if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And use your own common sense because so many people kept saying, I was gagging with that project, uh, with that uh, product. We get sick from that product, but I knew it was good, so we kept taking it. And people, they had online forums about how to get it down their children when the children were gagging and puking it and, <laughs> and so forth. And let's use our common sense. So that's, that's a message I do want to get out to people. No, and I think that's... That's a really great uh, advice just in, for health in general. I mean, it doesn't have to be about the fermented cod liver oil, just anything. Hey, if it, it is seems for right, anything. Yeah. It's like soy was being promoted as a miracle food. Um, the, the claims were just too great. Now, if people have a little soy once in a while, not a big deal. And I want to be clear, I enjoy my miso soup and I enjoy a little tofu once in a while. But that's not the same thing as having soy shakes and soy bars and, and soy products meal after meal and snack after snack as if it's a health food. So, Kayla, I, I'm curious then, are you a fan of just in general, uh, just fish oils or are there any? is there anything else that you recommend or that you use for yourself even? I think people can actually do just fine if they have quality fish a few times a week. And in terms of getting the needed vitamin A, uh, let's eat liver. That's what our grandparents did. We did traditionally, it was nose to tail eating, and nose to tail means you're eating the organ meats. Nose to tail means you're also using the carcass and you're making bone broth. And so, yeah, I don't do just exposés. I was co-author of the book Nourishing Broth, and there's my positive contribution, something that can really promote good health and something that was genuinely traditional, soups and stews and using the inexpensive cuts of meat plus using the bones and joints. Let's get the collagen. Let's get the cartilage. And the benefits are great to our skin, to our gut, uh, to our joints, it's it's a really a traditional miracle food. Thank you for bringing that up because that, that is a really, it is a very positive thing to look at. And bone broth in general, I, I must say, a warm cup of bone broth, winter, summer, like doesn't matter. I just love to drink it. I think it tastes so unbelievable. Uh, how How is your, what's your favorite way to either uh, drink it, prepare it, use it, whatever it might be? Uh, I have my crock pot going most of the time, and I make lamb broth and beef broth and lots of chicken broth, uh, some fish broth, um, you name it, sometimes mix them all up. Um, it's all good. <laughs> so when we were talking before, you had mentioned like uh, Paleo and Primal, uh, but you, the Paleo Primal Price Foundation, uh, something you've uh, recently helped to start, would you uh, share with us what is this about? Uh, if anybody wants to find out more about that, what can they do? Well, our it's a new foundation. Uh, we got going last September. We had our first conference in November, and it was very, very successful. I feel we're really reaching, connecting with a lot of people. And our tagline is bringing the real food communities together. 
And the way we feel about it is none of us has all the answers. And even though there is absolute genius with people like, say, Dr. Weston A. Price, he died in 1948, and the world has become much more toxic since then. So people cannot get the exact kinds of foods they could back then, plus we're dealing with greater levels of toxicity, other problems, vaccination damage, and I could just go on and on. So we're all searching for answers. We're, we're hunting for answers. We're, we're gathering information. We're growing from it. We're thriving from it. And that's really what we're trying to do as a foundation. We want to have events where we have leading speakers with new ideas. We want to all be talking together because there's no one perfect solution for everyone. Now, you had said, like, the... the Hook, line, and sinker was something you'd worked on previously. You're working on other things right now. What are things that you are uh, working on? Is there anything that you're really kind of brewing right now or any current area of study that you're just really diving deep into? Uh, I am trying to get the Paleo Primal Price Foundation off the ground. You know, we're new, so fundraising, bringing in membership, and we're about to launch a membership campaign and get a new website up and up and going. So that's taking quite a lot of my time, and I'm very excited about it. And in terms of me personally, we get back to that I'm the naughty nutritionist, and I want to do something again that is more fun for me. You know, I love the whole idea of edutainment, you know, education plus entertainment and a little naughtiness. And I mean naughtiness not just as, as sexual, but, but as mischief more, as having fun. So I would love to do a book called Naughty Nutrition, 69 Ways to Feed Your Libido and Fuel Your Lust for Life. There you go. I'm sure that would be a, a very a hot book on the shelves. It would be a hot book. And a lot of the concepts are, are familiar in the Paleo Primal Weston A. Price Foundation communities. But the way I present them with a little naughtiness, some fun, um, it's, it's more about my presentation being unique than that I have exclusive information. So you do sound like a very, very busy person with all that you have going on there. What do you, what do you enjoy doing in your free time? If you have even 15, 20 minutes, what are we going to find you uh, going off and doing? Um, this might seem like a joke, but the naughty nutritionist plays the organ. The organ? When did that start? I, I, I play Bach. Uh, I play the pipe organ, and I have a little pipe organ in my house, an old pipe practice pipe organ from, from actually from Notre Dame. <laughs> really? <laughs> and I started off years ago as a musician and a trained classical organist, and, and I just love Bach. Very cool. Uh, I, I was not ex- I, I knew I had looked into and seen in some of your bios and everything. You did the organ, but uh, Bach is being your favorite. Very Bach's cool. My favorite. Very cool. That's actually something I enjoy playing for my son. Uh, if we're just hanging out, we'll put some Bach on in the background, just listen to that even. Well, it's exciting, these new studies coming through that um, music really heals the brain and helps the brain develop. Um, and you playing the organ, there's the coordination between the feet and two, you know, your two hands and the brain. Um, uh, Albert Schweitzer, um, he played the organ in the evening. He worked hard all day, you know, in his clinic in Africa. And at night, he would unwind playing Bach on an organ that he had in Africa. So it's it's just one of the ways I like to unwind. Now, 
talking about even like uh, the nighttime there, do you have any specific rituals or routines that you follow uh, at night, like leading up to bed or even first thing in the morning that you kind of, that's, that's your set thing every single day. This is how you get going or this is how you end it. That's a, that's a really wonderful question. Um, I mix it up quite a bit, but one thing I'm very consistent about is I know that if I don't get to bed at a consistent time every night and get enough sleep that I don't do well, that occasionally I can do something like stay up late or pull an all nighter if there's a deadline, but I don't thrive when I do that very often. So, and also having two kids, I've just learned I have to have some consistency in my life. So part of that is um, I've got routines having to do with going to bed, uh, thinking about breakfast ahead of time. So if it's going to be oatmeal, I will soak the oats overnight. It, it only takes a little bit of time, but everything goes faster in the morning and the oats will be more digestible. They'll cook up faster too. So things like that, just for consistency, uh, making sure I'm shopping for real food, um, putting some habits in place having to do with making sure that my family and I are well-fed and uh, living a life that's that's got some balance. Now, I have a long ways to go in terms of what balance is, but actually, you know, you know I don't think balance is... We should be seeking something that's boringly exactly the same and imbalanced, you know, just keeping the ups and downs, you know, swinging, swinging well. Well, then speaking of balance, what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health? That's that's a wonderful question. Uh, the biggest struggle for me, I think, would be trying to to do it all. I want to get away and do more hiking, a little more traveling, and with two kids and all the responsibilities, that's that's challenging. But I think most of us need at least some getaway time just to, to recharge, refuel, and some of us get our best ideas when we're out hiking. Now... You're talking about getting out hiking, is there anywhere that you would really want to go hiking or to travel to in the future? I love to go to the Grand Canyon about once a year. Yeah. And I've discovered that that uh, in the winter, there's not as many crowds there. And because weather forecasts these days are so accurate, you can look ahead, say, a week or two, and you can see when you're going to have a winter day at the Grand Canyon where it's going to be 65 degrees and magnificent. And can get a room at a wonderful hotel, you know, like the Alto Bar where Teddy Roosevelt stayed. That's right on the South Rim. I mean, you go out in the morning and there it is. <laughs> and it's right next to the Bright Angel Trail. And um, not so crowded in the winter and wonderful weather. I mean, why cook there? I mean, people die hiking it in the summer. <laughs> Uh, now I know where I have to go. I'm I'm a big Teddy Roosevelt fan. So when you said that that's that's where he had uh, stayed as well, uh, I, I, that's something that my wife and I have talked about, like just getting out to be able to see at some point. That might well, be the place to stay. Huge contribution to the national park system, and actually, in terms of my bucket list, uh, Grand Canyon's something I can drive to. We're talking a nine-hour drive, basically from from Albuquerque, where I live. But places like Yosemite and some of those fabulous old lodges, good food, you know, an environment that's that's um, stimulating, and wonderful trails. So you can have a little of all the best, best of all those worlds. 
So we're talking about things that are, are enjoyable. What would you say is your biggest vice? Vice. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Some people would say that uh, eating bacon is a vice. Absolutely. But I would say bacon makes everything better, and it basically is a good fat, though I would make it a priority to get uh, bacon from pasture pigs. I, I think that sounds like a delicious vice. <laughs> <laughs> but I think one of my uh, challenges in terms of vice that would be interesting is to see how much bacon I could eat to, to, before I become extremely happy. Would it be one whole package of bacon or several? <laughs> uh, we might have to run that experiment. Maybe you should uh, shoot a video to share with everybody. Maybe that's, maybe that's come up with uh, that answer. <laughs> so, Kayla, what is uh, something that advice-wise that you would have, health or otherwise, that you would have given to your, say, 30-year-old self? I would tell my 30-year-old self to to relax and enjoy life more. Uh, to live more in the moment, in the now. Because a lot of us, and I was certainly a really good example of this, I got so caught up in trying to do everything perfectly, as if there even is perfect. And I was always seeking, you know, perfect. And perfect gets in the way of good, and it certainly gets in the way of enjoying life. And in terms of the clients I work with, one of the things I see is, People tend to not get into too much trouble if they include a lot of variety in their lives, both in their diet and in their activities. But when people get caught up in the idea that one thing is, say, a miracle food or the ideal way of exercise and the best, uh, people often make mistakes with that. And if they mix it up, less, less risk. And I do tell people just to have fun. People are so obsessed with the perfect kind of exercise. I say, you know, just get out of the house, take walks, smell the flowers. And that's what I was going to ask. How do you tell people to kind of find that relaxation point, just enjoying the enjoying uh, the present? How have you been able to do that for yourself? Was there anything that you kind of had to go through? Or is it something that just, okay, there you were. You finally recognized that it was something that was very important to be able to do? Well, I think I was the slowest learner on the planet, actually. <laughs> Took me a long time. Uh, and uh, I grew up um, in an environment where where the idea was if, if you weren't perfect, it wasn't good enough. And, you know, the people had the best uh, intentions in the world, which was to improve me and to help me to grow. But uh, that can be very damaging to somebody's self-esteem, too. So, you know, there's, it's, it can be very tricky to strike the right balance between encouraging a child and uh, pushing a child too hard. So this is something I've been learning over, over decades. And when I'm working with my clients, uh, I try not to rush people, and I try to explore with them a little bit about what they really love. Like, do they love dancing? And they used to dance, but somehow since having children or whatever, they've stopped doing that. And often there, there's something like that that they had once loved that had sort of fallen by the wayside. So we explore that and try to get them back doing something that's just plain fun. <laughs> now, what would you say if, besides maybe uh, playing the organ or going for a hike, is there anything else that you just enjoy? doing for fun uh, as, as far as a simple thing goes that you don't have to take 
uh, maybe a couple hours to go out for a hike, or you don't have to have an organ, just little things in life that you can just make fun then too. Julia Cameron, who's most famous for writing the book, The Artist's Way, she's got a lot of books and I just love her. She's one of my heroes. And one of the things she suggests we all do is make what she calls an artist date once a week. And that's a date with yourself. And it can be something like you go to the theater or you go to the movies, but it can also be something that's completely free. And it might be something like, say, going to a fabric shop and just luxuriating in all the different colors where the textures are just touching it. And that costs nothing, but it can be very, very pleasurable. Or going into a flower shop or, or walking along, you know, an old neighborhood and just popping into antique shops and, and just um, enjoying yourself. So once a week, making a date with yourself. It doesn't have to be with other people, and it doesn't have to be expensive. Now, my artist date this week, tonight I'm going to the Cirque du Soleil. You know, I just love those, you know, incredible, the beauty of their their bodies, their dance, their fitness, and I get a real high from doing that. And, you know, that's a treat. But last week I was out exploring all the little little um, flea markets and, and finding some cool things. Very nice. Very nice. So it sounds like uh, Cirque du Soleil is something very physical. What is, do you have like a movement practice and exercise practice that you kind of follow for yourself or are you just all over the place? Because you talk about like being varied in, in other things like such as food. Is that what your uh, exercise and movement looks like as well? Well, I do walk into my kitchen and prepare food <laughs> and lift those heavy pans. <laughs> um, and I do enjoy the, the walking. And as opposed to hiking, walking, I could just go out my door and walk around the neighborhood and, you know, give my little dog here a little walk. <laughs> we both need that. Hiking is more, you know, I might drive 20 minutes or 30 minutes or even an hour to some beautiful place and walk for a few hours or maybe even all day. Uh, so that would be more of a special event. Um, I do kettlebells a couple times a week. I have a trainer who is very funny. I really enjoy him. He's fit. He's funny. Um, the whole routine takes about 30 minutes. It's five minutes from my house, so there's no pressure on to do it. And as I said, it's fun. So that's my preferred method of fitness at the moment. Uh, at various points, I've done Don Yoga, which is a Korean form of yoga that's, that's about energy. And they have something called brain training, but it's very much about, you know, sort of shaking your body and working with the energy as being a ticket to brain and body health. I think that's extremely enjoyable. Now, and so it goes. Beyond uh, maybe the Don Yoga then, what are key factors that you either find uh, yourself doing or just you, have, you, you suggest for clients in maintaining proper brain health? Well, there's a lot of things that can contribute to brain health. And if we talk about them all at once, it overwhelms people. So I'm more along the, you know, the slow and steady idea of, well, let's adopt a new, a new good habit this month, and then maybe next month, another one. And the end of a year, you've got 12 great new habits, and that's huge. So it's, it's easy to get caught up in how we need to do 25 things if we're going to have brain health or physical health or health generally. So 
so just moving more is, is very simple. It can be free. And for some people, just taking a walk is a, is a big first step. You know, get that habit into place. Uh, eating well, including a lot of nourishing fats, that's, that's very important. Um, there's a new book out called Smart Fats. And, um, you know, we're smart to eat good traditional fats, and it contributes to our smartness. You know, that's a good title there. <laughs> Our brain is 60% fat and cholesterol, and um, this is very important for our health. So for many people, they'll notice that their moods improve, they're more in balance in terms of brain health, they're more focused, they don't get distracted, they're not having what's been called senior moments, just because they start cutting out the soy, cutting out the low-fat diets, cutting out the fast and processed foods, that um, miracles start to happen just from eating like our ancestors. And for most of most people, it doesn't happen overnight, but bit by bit, they'll notice a, a real change. They're not having the sugar cravings. They're not having the ups and downs through the day. They're more level. Their, their energy is, is more steady. And they roll well with things. They just don't get so anxious and upset. You know, road rage, what's that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so talking about uh forming new habits what's what's the newest uh habit that you have formed for yourself that's a wonderful question i loved gretchen rubin's books on habits and i just devoured them reading them over and over and underlining things and and she had a wonderful idea of of going through the year and and developing new things each month so that was right along with my idea, too, that, you know, we, we shouldn't try to do everything at once. And one of the things that she discusses in, in her latest book is how some of us develop a new habit by basically just cutting out the old one, you know, all or nothing. Some of us, that's the only way to do it. Other people doing it gradually is the way to go. That We need to look at our own personalities in terms of, of coming up with the best solution. And I discovered for myself that I can't really cut back on something like sugar. If it's gotten into my diet and, and to too great a degree, I basically have to cut it out totally. And after a couple of days, the craving's not there anymore. But then if I go out and, and have a little, suddenly the next day I'm wanting it again and I'm having real problems with my, with my willpower, etc. So I'm the kind of person where if a new habit has to be adopted, I have to basically go cold turkey. And I think that's, that's important for the listeners to, to pick up on too. They have to recognize their own types of habit formation where it's we don't all form habits the same way i mean i know university college london when they uh, did the study i think it's they said it takes uh, like 66 days to form a new habit when they really got it. but that was the average and i mean people like tony robbins say hey three seconds you can change a habit if if that's what you decide to do so <laughs> we all need to find out whether we're tony robbins or i guess it takes us 66 days to to change well, everything. Tony's got that unlimited power. Maybe he can do it in the three seconds. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one of the bits of brilliance with Gretchen Rubin's new book about you know getting better every day is she recognizes that there's different types of people, and we we had best figure out how we uh, operate best. Absolutely, and I think 
people can get a lot more of just looking into themselves and finding out more about that. And that will go a long ways in just health, happiness uh, for them continuing in the future then. So Kayla, I'm curious, what is something that you are just really excited about right now? Uh, as far as I guess the health sphere goes, is there something that you see on the horizon that you're just really excited to be able to keep it, keep it going uh, or anything that you see developing that's really about to explode? You know, what gets me really excited is how a lot of the leaders in the, in the health food movement or the alternative medical uh, sphere are now working together. It's no longer so competitive. It's much more collaborative. Uh, we're promoting each other's books. We're promoting each other's programs. And we're not only helping each other that way, but we're helping many, many, many more people. You know, we all have a different personality, a different slant on things. And and what I can offer may be perfect for certain people. And these other people that in the past would have been considered competitors, they have the answer in many cases for other people. So it's just wonderful how we're all talking, we're all working together, we're all trying to learn and grow together. That really is a beautiful thing. And now that you say that, I, I don't think I really recognized that before, but now I can really see it. And especially with just what you've been talking about. I mean, some of the people you've been talking about, it's like, no, you, you're still a huge fan of their work as well. And that's why you're talking about them because it has an influence on you. And I'm sure things that you've done have an influence on them. And it's just going to uh, continue to to populate and just push forward so that really we can all become healthier as one then too. Yeah, the big thing for me is I'm no longer a black and white thinker. I don't think in terms of either or. And in the past, I always did. There was right and wrong, black and white. And now I can see so many beautiful shades of gray, or I guess I should say I'm seeing so many colors <laughs> And, you know, dark ones, light ones, bright ones. And and it's a different world. It just feels so much better with that kind of attitude. And in the past, if a book had one idea that I didn't agree with, I'd give it the thumbs down. And now I'm saying, well, that's a great book. And um, there's a lot of ideas in there. And I don't agree 100%. But I believe that's going to help a lot of people anyway. And, you know, it does. <laughs> Kelly, what is a question that, I should ask you, what is something that I'm not even thinking about that you have such an expertise on that we should bring up right now? Oh, my. <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, is there something that you are just extremely passionate about that we haven't even touched on that you would just like to share with everybody? Well, this might not be news, but, you know, I just want to bring up I'm passionate about supporting our local farmers. I'm, I'm passionate about uh, supporting them, uh, artisanal producers, farmers markets, local chefs, uh, eating local and thinking globally and doing all of these things. And I don't think we can emphasize that too much. And the more we're able to do that, um, the more independent we are, the more we're going to have a sense of community. So we're not only getting healthier, but part of that getting healthier is when we know our farmers and visit the farms and go to farmer's market. I mean, this is fun. It's, it's community. It's having more friends. And maybe it's not best friends, but seeing the same people every week, seeing how they're doing, saying hello, knowing them by name. 
so many of us have been starved for that connection. So talking about even like the, the local farmers, that type of thing. Uh, how about, what about small gardens? I mean, do you have, do you have anything in your backyard or even just on your windowsill that you like to grow for yourself? Yes, I do. Uh, but what's really exciting me is how there's more and more community gardens and people are getting together and gardening. So we're back to knowing each other, helping each other, and that's wonderful. And I'm considering moving to a wonderful community here in Santa Fe called La Luz, which stands for the light. And it was done by a top architect, Antoine Predock. It was his first uh, big project, made his reputation. So there's 96 townhouses on about 50 acres and a lot of shared land. There are community gardens there. There's tennis, there's swimming pool. People have their own private spaces. And then there's a lot of community spaces. And that really excites me. Now, what I've got now is, is a house in the university area and a fairly large backyard with some container gardening and, and, you know, the box kind of gardening. But I'm in the desert. This is not really sustainable. So the idea of, of actually working together with other people and sharing and contributing to each other's success is, is very appealing. I love that idea. Yeah. And I know I've, I've heard of some places like that. Uh, I know there's one uh, a little bit south from where I live in Pennsylvania. But I think that something like that, because uh, not everybody's meant to have a green thumb. Like they're not all going to be the best at doing certain things. But this way they can learn from others. They can, maybe somebody's great at growing tomatoes. Somebody else is great at growing winter squash and so on and so forth. And we can all share these things together then. But I like how you also talked about the the keeping it local because I just don't want to buy foods from halfway either across the country or halfway across the world if I can get it two doors down in my neighbor's house or right at the farm up the street something like that it's an amazing thing to have those resources available to us well I'm no nowhere as near close to being sustainable myself you know with my own gardens and you know I've got four cats and if I were growing chickens they would be very unhappy very stressed out chickens <laughs> But knowing where my chickens are coming from is wonderful. And for that matter, I'm busy. I've got a very active professional life. I got two kids. I like to have fun. And for me, it doesn't make a lot of sense to do my own fermented stuff and have all the bubblies on the counter. And I'm very grateful that I can support some small companies that do excellent products. So I buy those, we eat those, and that's just a part of my my life that I've chosen not to to do that myself. What is something that people can do to simplify their health right now that you see that's just too often excuse me too often overcomplicated? I really like what the, that word overcomplicated because I see that all the time. People think that if they're going to cook their own food that they have to be trained chefs. They think it's complicated. And I'll tell you where that came from. It came from all that low-fat mythology because if you're trying to be a low-fat cook, boy, you better be skilled. You better know how to work with spices. Being a producing tasty low-fat food is very, very difficult. But let me tell you, you cannot go wrong if you're keeping it simple and just using a lot of butter and some salt. And I kind of joke about Julia, Julia Child, who was an amazing chef, and she could do any number of extremely complicated recipes. 
But when she talked about spinach, she said, cook it well and add as much butter as it can stand or as as much butter as it can hold, I think was the word she used. As much butter as it can hold. And you know what? That spinach is delicious. Your kids are not going to resist eating that spinach. You're going to be eating a lot of that spinach. And it's so good. It, it certainly is. It certainly is. Uh, it's that's not about anything other than boiling the heck out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Gail, what what would you say that your definition of health is? I would say being healthy is having the energy and the the joy to jump out of bed in the morning, knowing that you've got work to do that is fulfilling and serves your purpose in the world that's using your talents and that you can make a difference we can't do that if we're not healthy if we're so tired that that we don't have the energy if we're so tired that we're irritable and we're reactive we we can't we can't do what we're meant to do in the world we can't be good friends we can't be good parents (laughs) we need to be healthy to to do those things that is truly an excellent point because I, you see a lot of people where they're, they might be very successful. They might be doing uh, just so on and so forth at the top of these companies and all of a sudden they're coming down with these illnesses. They're just becoming run into the ground with what they're trying to do. And it's, it's not a sustainable model if you don't take care of your health first. So I, lo- I lo- love that, the energy, the joy, getting, getting out of bed in the morning, just ready, raring to go. Uh, that's an amazing thing to have at your disposal. It really is. And I mentioned early on that years ago I was a skinny bitch and that it's <laughs> not desirable to be either skinny or, or bitchy. <laughs> you know, I don't see why that is so attractive to, you know, many of our young people and those are best-selling books, but I don't personally understand the appeal. But years ago, when I was uh, not healthy, when I was trying to be a vegan, as is recommended in that book, I was cranky all the time. My blood sugar would completely crank. I had no resilience. I had um, very poor willpower and focus. And if somebody cut into me in traffic, I was furious. If I had to wait at a bank, I was furious. I was very reactive. And that's not a good way to live. Uh, Kayla, I, I want to be respectful of your time. This this has been an awesome conversation. So a couple last questions that I have for you. And one of the last things that I ask everybody is, who is somebody that you would really like to hear on this podcast? And what is it that you would either like to ask them or hear them talk about? If you haven't already talked with Lear Keith, I would recommend you, you um, get her on the show right away. She wrote an incredible book called The Vegetarian Myth. And she was a vegan for 22 years, as committed as anyone on the planet ever has been to that. And she learned the hard way that that does not serve personal or planetary health. So very bright, very articulate, and wonderful, wonderful information. And what, well, what is something that you would want to maybe ask her, or what, what specifically would you like to hear her elaborate on? I would like to hear her talk about the best way to approach and talk with the people who were like the way she was years ago when she was a fervent vegan. Because trying to connect can be very, very difficult. And many of us have had uh, friends and family that we really love who've been seduced by the vegetarian myth. 
And it's very hard to, to convince them that they're going down the wrong path. How do you think she would answer that? Well, I don't know. I mean, she, she has been very frank that, that she did not want to hear that information years ago. So if she could come up with an idea about uh, how she could have gotten through to herself back when, that would be fabulous information. I, I will certainly have to reach out to her because I think that's, I, and I don't think it just has to be connecting to, like you said, as a fervent vegan. I think anybody who's really hooked in a absolute dogma, I mean, it is very difficult to get through to them that being open to certain things. And I think, like you said to yourself even before, you used to see things black or white, like there were no other options. So that would be uh, a wonderful thing to be able to communicate with people who are just absolute set in their ways no matter what. And I, I realize that, that that approach would be the way to reach somebody who's of a different religion, a different political party, right across the board. That would be such a contribution to greater peace in the world. Kayla, last thing, where can the listeners find out more about you? Where, where are you on the internet? Uh, everything that you've done, all the work so that everybody can go check out all the amazing things that you have to offer. Thank you. My website is drkayladaniel.com and I have several free ebooks that people can can get there and one is called The Fats of Life and that's a little naughty and fun but with some good information about how we really need to eat good fats and plenty of them for healthy body and brain. And the second free ebook is Hook Line and Stinker: The Truth About Fermented Cod Liver Oil. And is there anything that you would like to uh, leave the audience with? Anything, any last words you would like to share with them? Well, I love to connect with people. And I have a Facebook page, and I love it when people are contributing and active, and we've got some things going around, around there. Um, and that lets me know what people care about, what their concerns are, and everybody has contributions to make. So the sharing is very, very important. Excellent. So thank you so much, uh, Kayla. Everything has been awesome. Make sure everybody go out, check out her website, check out the free eBooks, go check out the books she's written. I mean, there's, there's so much valuable information there. Uh, so Kayla, thank you again so much for your time. Uh, I hope everybody can get as much out of this as I did. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to head over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to get your top 10 world-class nutrition tips from the experts to help you simplify your health journey. While you're there, go to my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Also, if the show has helped you out in any way, please head over to iTunes to give the Bare Naked Health Podcast a positive comment and a five-star rating. This really goes a long way in getting the word out with how simple health can be and helping to share the podcast with others.